Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep, we collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kind of Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is what's your love style? Let's find out. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel. You're listening to Kind of Dating. You know what I'm going to ask you. Do you want me to say it again? I will. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it and tell your friends. Because remember, that's how we grow. Um, we're so excited that we were just featured uh, in Apple Podcasts as uh, some of the love podcasts that people should listen to. And we were just in the 20 top 25 charts in relationships under Michelle Obama. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to gloat about that one, because what if I never get a chance to ever be that close to Michelle Obama again? Um So yeah, thank you guys. That means you have been listening and you have been sharing. So please continue to do that because that really, really helps us. Um, Something I was posting about is that, you know, we're not celebrities. We're not, uh, we don't have all those resources that famous people have. Um, We uh, don't have a big network, but we have had amazing guests on the show um, and we have been featured in, in all these kinds of trades. And that's just hopefully because we work really hard and we take this seriously and uh, we're really committed to getting you the best information possible. And today's episode is no different. Um, so remember, and all that said, leave us a five-star rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And also uh, follow us on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. Aisha is not available today, but she's at Aisha Says Dance. And I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, and Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok. All right, guys, we have an amazing guest here. Like I said, today's episode is no different. And she is dope as fuck. She's a cognitive behavioral psychologist who specializes in attachment theory, which is something I'm super intrigued by. Her name is Dr. Diane Strakowski. Hello, Dr. Diane. Hello. How are you, Natasha? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. I love this topic. I, My gosh, we love this topic. Um, This is something I think uh, listeners very much want to know more about. I know it's an, it's an area that's a little gray ish to me. I get it and I don't get it. So I'm very excited to have you explain stuff to us. But before we start, we ask every guest the same first question, single or in a relationship. I'm married. Yeah. Oh, how long? Uh, 12 years. Whoa. Yeah. That's amazing. Were you guys dating a long time? Oh my God. Well, we dated for two years, but I got married later and we, I dated hundreds, Natasha. So I dated a lot of people and then um, met my husband and he had been married before, but he was a widower actually. Oh, hey, uh, I love that you found love in what you consider a later part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um do you feel like going through all those experiences made you more mature 
Because oh everybody God, thinks yes. that they need to find love very young, right? Oh God. And I, yeah, I was there. I was engaged. I had a fiance cheat on me. I mean, I went through all the stages. Yeah. I hear you. So it was golden to me. And then you appreciate what you find when you find it, because I had had so many experiences and this is why I do what I do because I'm the psychologist, but I have my own personal experiences that I share. Like I've been there and I get it and I've been on both sides. So I feel it. I think that's really important because uh, sometimes people feel, you know, we advocate for therapy a lot on the show Mm -hmm. and sometimes people feel like a therapist wouldn't be able to connect with them, wouldn't be able to share, like, I get it. And that means so much to people, right? Absolutely. Because I, um, I tell the story, Natasha, that before when I was single, I went to seven different therapists and not a single one of them said to me, Diane, I think you have an anxious attachment style. And that's why I'm a specialist in attachment styles, because I think that if I had had this information, I could have saved myself so much agony by just having a term for it. So it is my mission now to serve other people and to teach them the things that I didn't know about myself. Oh, you don't know how happy that makes me, because that's the reason I feel like I started this podcast was I... Obviously, I'm not a therapist, but I have been very, very experienced. And then I did a lot of therapy and I really worked through my issues. And I always said, like, I wanted to uh, share with people the things I wish somebody shared with me when I was younger. And just to, like, make it a little more practical, because sometimes people give a lot of advice that's, like, not practical. And that's what I love about you, too, because you give really real world advice. And goofy advice. And I put on wigs and do reels. And yeah, yeah. No way, really? Oh, yeah. You got to keep it real. And uh, people like that because you just have to be relatable. Yeah. Hear your story and say, I know where you are. And um, it doesn't make anybody better or worse, but everybody has a journey. I say we're all on a journey to find love, like on The Bachelor. And um, it's how you grow in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, coming back a little bit to that, you had said that you found uh, love again a little later. Um, there's no right or wrong, right? No, absolutely. And that's the other thing. The beauty of it is that you can find love at any stage in your life and you can feel young again and you can start fresh. And even if you have a relationship that's not going well, you just need the courage to end that and believe in yourself and start again. And that's the beauty because I meet a lot of people who are they're in the wrong relationship. We have to work their way out of that relationship before they can start dating um, and really make themselves whole before they do that. Yeah, I'm in a really wonderful relationship and I also feel like I went through all my adult life dating a lot and struggling and uh, and same with my boyfriend. And now we're at that place where we actually feel mature enough to have a relationship, which is when you're younger on one end, it's like, oh, you have all this time with that person, which is, I think, one pro. And the pro as you're older is you're like, I got to wild out. I had a lot of sex. And now I find like now coming into uh, a, a more mature uh, worldview, I can apply that. And, uh, and I feel like I had the best of both worlds. Oh, timing is everything. Absolutely. Like be and be where you are now. Enjoy your singleness. Cause like, you're not going to have it forever, you know? And if you can relax into it and we're going to talk about that, cause sometimes if you're super anxious, you can't, um, 
you're like looking for the next thing. And it's like, if you can just appreciate where you are realizing it's not always going to be that way, that's kind of the beauty of it. You could have the best of both. Then. Yeah. So please tell us like, what is a person's love style, which is some a, a, a term you coined and, uh, and how does it differ maybe from what people might perceive to be like love language? Yeah. So, um, Natasha, I'm a psychologist. I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I'm also a researcher. So I did my postdoc at Stanford and I did a lot of, uh, cognitive trials, right? Like, uh, clinical trials and different medications or different types of treatments. And so essentially I've been a researcher at heart and in the literature on attachment styles, all the, the data says that 50% of the population is secure and the other 50% insecure. What do you think of that? Do you think that makes sense or there's more people who are insecure than that? I think there's way more people insecure. Absolutely. I was the same. I'm like, that's bullshit. So there's no way that 50% of the population is secure. Like, I just think more people are insecure. So I developed my own quiz. And I call it a love style because it's a combination of two things. Your attachment style, which is something you develop in the first two years of your life, along with your communication style. So as a clinician, let's say someone would come in and I would get a woman's background or history and she'd tell me about the inconsistencies in her life and she was clearly somebody that had an anxious attachment. But here's the caveat. It looks like a different presentation if someone is a high expressive person. Their communication style is like, I want to talk about it and I want to talk about it now. That's what I call a high expressive person versus a low expressive person who says, it would be better if we never talked about this at all, okay? And therefore, because what I do then is treat the person, I have to know two things. I have to know their attachment style, whether they're anxious, avoidant, secure, or fearful avoidant. And I have to know whether they're low expressive or high expressive because the high expressives, I have to teach to tone it down. They're sharing way too much. And the low expressive, I have to teach them to come up more. So the advice you give people, I always say, Natasha, love is not one size fits all. You have to speak to your audience because that's where like you read a book and it's like, well, do the rules or something. That's not going to be applicable for everyone. So you really have to focus your treatment and focus your advice specific to the person. And so many people have like lost their voice, right? They had bad experiences or no one listened to them in their home. So they lost their voice. They were a low expressive person because they think nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And I'm like, yes, they do. And no one's going to mind read. So if that's the pattern in your relationship, you're holding yourself back, you have to do that. So I developed a scale. And in that, there's because there's four different primary attachment styles, the four I mentioned. I also wanted to neutralize them. So here's the problem. I look at attachment theory just as a clinician, but more as a person. Like, do I want to consider myself anxious ambivalent? Because that's the technical term. I'm like, I'm not ambivalent about love. I want love, but I am anxious in my presentation. So I developed characters and I have four different characters. So I have nervous Nora, who is my anxious attachment style person, the anxious ambivalent. I call her nervous Nora or Nick. Then I have 
um, independent Isabel or Ian, who is the (laughs) classic avoidant person. No one wants to call themselves avoidant, but the independent person doesn't want to lose their independence. So that's why I call it in a positive way. You're independent, right? Like you're self-sufficient and you might like yourself. So we don't have to fix that. Then the fearful avoidant person, nobody likes that label. It's negative. So I came up with confused, confused Connie or Connor. Mm. And then I have secure Sophia or Steve. So I have these characters and then you're either low or high expressive in each of those groups. So that's seven different characters, essentially. I have four different big groupings. And now I speak to people and my followers call themselves, hey, I'm a Nora, I'm dating an Ian. And now we, we have the language for it that it's neutral. And so my goal was to come up with a quiz that was easy and fast, include your communication style because not everybody's the same in their presentation, and then give you terms that are neutral so you can identify and relate and not feel shame about your attachment style. That's really a wonderful technique because um, you're right. People are are don't want to be labeled anything. I mean, we don't like labels in general. Nobody likes saying I'm even in a relationship, oh, um, let alone being told I'm fearful avoidant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a really fun way to kind of spin what people might deem a negative into a positive. That's right. Is there a, could you kind of run through a couple of these like defining traits of some of these love styles, which I know I'm sure come back to attachment theory, but some people don't even know what that is. That's right. Okay. So all of this stems from childhood and people right there will balk at it. Like, well, I don't even remember the first two years of my life. Or of course my parents loved me. This isn't about whether your parents loved you or not. So your attachment style, Natasha, is formed based upon the availability of your parents and a felt sense of being seen and whether you're secure or not. So right here, the majority of people, why I developed my quiz, and I have population statistics. I've got 65,000 people who have taken my quiz. So I have data because I'm a data-driven person. And the majority of people are insecure. Okay? 100%. Right. So 78%, 75% of people are insecure. And how it breaks down is this, okay? So let me give you some traits. So the nervous person, why I call them nervous, it's because their nervous system is hypersensitive, okay? Instead of being called like, you're so emotional, you're so needy, your nervous system is dysregulated easily. So what happened in your childhood, your parents were there for you sometimes, not others, Okay. One parent could have been consistent, but the other wasn't. So you never learned to relax into your relationships because you never knew, am I safe? Am I not? Mm. So you become hyper vigilant, hyper aware, and your nervous system is super sensitive to threat. So here's the thing about attachment styles. I say, you're, you're not like walking around in your attachment style all the time, but you're like tea. Your flavor comes out in hot water, okay? Under Uh threat, we see who you really are. And this is why dating is so hella hard because people will fake being secure at the beginning and you don't know who you have until you've been with them through a stressor. 
You know, one of the best things I've heard over my years of doing this podcast is um, somebody had, one of our guests had said, um, your relationship only starts the day after your first big fight. Yeah. And I never understood that at first. And then of course, being in long relationships, I was like, oh, right. Because you could be with somebody eight, nine months, 10 months, and then you have that fight, that fight. And suddenly you see a side of somebody come out that just spins both people off and you never recover from it. And it's going to be because 80% of the time you're okay, but it's the 20, that's exactly it. Those 20% of the times in the breakup and when you have maybe differences in particular in your love styles, one person's the nervous type, the nervous Nora type, the other person's more independent, that that's when you bump up against competing needs. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get into trouble. And so as a therapist, as a couples therapist too, I'm looking for ways to help people cope, manage, repair, communicate through those things, because otherwise that's the friction point that a lot of people can break up during. Wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. Okay. What are the other ones? Okay. So the nervous Nora type, who is she? She is constantly looking for validation. She's looking for validation outside of herself. Tell me you love me. Tell me where we stand. She hates the ambiguity of dating. The roller coaster drives her crazy. So sometimes she goes fast. She connects quickly. She wants to feel assured that she's not going to be played, right? Mm -hmm. So she connects too quickly. Sometimes she doesn't set good boundaries. She doesn't like listen to her gut because her gut is filled with gas sometimes. And she has a hard time kind of just differentiating the different phases of dating, okay? That's nervous Nora or Nick because there's equal numbers of men who are nervous too, okay? The next person is Isabel. Or Ian, the person who's more on the cool, mysterious side, they actually don't mind dating and they can go through periods of time when they're single for a long time because they don't need someone. They like their independence mm-hmm. and they get under stress when the relationship gets further along. So this person can handle the beginning phases of dating really well. They can be very charismatic. They can be really cool. But now when you ask me to stay over multiple nights in a row and I feel like my independence is a threat, now you're going to see my shit. Okay. I was definitely that for a long time. Okay. And that's because the family of origin is usually more on the cool side, not very emotional, not a lot of expression. Nobody's asking me how I feel. So this person is challenged with how to learn how to be vulnerable, how to express themselves, because they're thinking, like, why bother? Why talk about this? It'll, it should just get better on its own. They haven't had the felt experience of being heard or seen. So what do they need under stress? They need space. They need distance. They need peace. They need respect. Leave me alone. I'm better by myself. So it's a matter of needs that come up during stress. Yeah, that's so interesting because, um, you know, I talk a lot on the show about people think commitment phobes are just sort of the the fuck boy or the fuck girl, you know, like the player, the classic player. But but I admittedly used to be a hardcore commitment phobe. And it was because of this. I literally used to say the words, oh my God, like he wants to spend a long weekend together. And everybody'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's normal. Like, well, how would you get married? As like, oh my God, who's talking about marriage? Like, calm down. And I couldn't, 
spend even multiple days with somebody. And then I used to have long distance relationships. I was very notorious for keeping people at a distance. And Mm -hmm. I used to very, I was pretty aware. So I used to say it was because I wanted to do my thing. I was like, oh, I like being in something, but being far enough that I can do my thing most of the time. Um, And people don't acknowledge that that behavior is also commitment phobia. Yeah. And and we don't really call it a a phobia per se. It's just sort of like going back to what you know, right? And and it's the feeling, the fear underneath it, Natasha, is the feeling that I'm going to be trapped and that if we have conflict, I don't know how to manage conflict. So the first sign of something being wrong, it's like, I got to end this. Or if your partner's coming on strong, here's where Ian and Nora kind of hook up, right? Like Nora's like, well, if you're not certain about me, I'm out of here because she needs reassurance. And he's like, well, if you are certain and I'm not, well, then I got to end this. But really, as a couples therapist, if we just leveled that, if Nora just toned that down a little bit and said, you know, I'm scared too, then you would allow the other person to just be in the ambiguity and then together you could figure it out. Right. Right. And that's, again, the beauty of just like labeling it or kind of knowing what's going on here so you don't freak out and go, oh my God, they must be wrong then. Like, this is me. I Because the independent person could go forever hiding behind really high standards and find no one that's good enough. Yeah, I feel like I definitely have a couple girlfriends who probably are this right now and mm-hmm. just um, are... Uh, using the crutch of like, but, but I'm just independent. I only want to find the person that is, uh, that's right for me. Otherwise nothing at all kind of thing. Well, you're putting up walls and they protect you for a little bit, but the walls keep people out too. Mm -hmm. So the problem is if you really do want that kind of relationship now, what you really have to do then is manage that you can have some of your own time, but you have to ask for it and you have to assure your partner and you have to say, hey, I'm going to take some space. Is that okay? I'm coming back. So absolutely, couples, I'm on the anxious side. My husband's a little more on the avoidance side, but we work through it. We talk through it. Like I'm not afraid of it because I know what it is. Totally, totally. And what are some of the others? So so there's the nervous Nora. And Nick, yep. So then there's the fearful avoidant person who I call confused Connie or Connor. They're basically just confused. And what happened, unfortunately, for them, and this is a small part of the population, so that's good. They experience some abuse or neglect in childhood, so they really don't know who to trust. Like they've had horrific things happen mm-hmm. at the at the mercy of their parents usually and or later in life they had some serious abuse or trauma. So they're going to be really freaked out. So they can lean one, towards one or the other. One, they can be very childlike and trust everyone with no boundaries. Or two, they can be incredibly um, walled off and really fearful of relationships. But for them, primarily their issue is they're easily physiologically triggered. So, and and you don't know what a trigger is. It just happens. It could be a sound, a smell, a a look, a voice, a a relationship that triggers something, and now they're physiologically aroused. So there's a whole treatment for that, and there's a lot of trauma treatment that the person needs to do to be able to manage all of that in a relationship. Wow. And then we have secure. 
Yay! And Secure is like the role model. So like, um, I've even got colors that coordinate them in my Secure Sophia Blue. Like, you know, Sophia's cool. She's like easygoing. And it's good to know there's people out there like that so you can model that. Because we all have a, a Sophia in our life. Someone who would go, well, that wouldn't bother me. So he didn't call you back. He was busy. So what? Like, instead of the other nervous friend is like, oh, well, he must not be into you then, right? Like, that's going to trigger your anxieties. But Sophia, because she felt secure with her parents and she felt unconditionally loved, she has a felt sense in her body of feeling secure. She's calm physiologically. She can think rationally. Her story about love is positive. The only thing is that sometimes Sophia thinks love should happen organically and she could be a little lazy. Same thing with Steve. Like, well, my parents are happily married. It should just happen for me. I'm like, but if 75% of the population is not secure, you're going to be surprised when everyone doesn't respond the way you do. Yeah. I'm So I have a almost like a personal type of question for this. So I did your your love styles quiz, which uh, guys, please go on to uh, Dr. Diane's website and we're going to have it in the description of this episode. And you have this uh, love styles quiz. So obviously to prep, I did it. And I was a little surprised though, not totally. Um, you know, I've had therapists on the show. I've done a lot of work and the feedback has been like, I am secure. And so I did your quiz and I was actually a little surprised because as I was going through it, I was like, uh-oh, I think I'm not. And then by the end, it came as secure Sophia. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I think the difference was what you said earlier, which is it's also based on your communication style. So sometimes I do feel off um, and I feel fearful and whatever, but now I communicate it right away where old me used to never communicate or used to talk about it two weeks later, <laughs> um, notorious for that. But now I, I kind of, I'll, I'll calm down. I'll think about it. I'll take a break. Maybe I'll talk to a friend and then I'll come back and I'll say, Hey, you know, this is what I was on my mind, not saying that this is what happened. This is just how I feel about something that happened. Um, and I notice like we can solve problems a little faster because I'm actually just talking about it. Um, well this is a perfect example, Natasha, because here's the thing. What I love about this model is it's all about earning your attachment. And it's not like if you're a nervous nor you're there forever. If you have conscious awareness, you know what you're doing. Oh, there I go again. I'm connecting too quickly. There I go again. I'm being hypersensitive. I'm overthinking. Then you can catch yourself and move towards secure. So I teach people how to get there, which is like what Sophia does naturally. She doesn't even know. It's like a secret to her because this is just who she is. But she does. She's calm in her body. So you have to calm your body first. You have to have a positive vision of love. Like I can get there because otherwise you're thinking like all men suck. There's no good people out there. Right. And that negative mindset perpetuates your progress. Right. And then, so if you can think positively and you can think rationally then, and if someone disappoints you, you can kind of call them out, right? In a very non-confrontational, not like, oh, I knew you were going to break up with me, right? That's what Nora would do. But Sophia would say, hey, John, you've been kind of unavailable. What's up? In just, a, again, a very neutral way. And that's what you need to sustain a long-term relationship. You've got to have those good communication skills. Yeah. And I'm curious though, can people sort of, I know 
I know people can move through these phases in different parts of life, but can they also move through these phases in the moment of sort of crisis? So like sometimes like when you were saying nervous, Nora, I was like, I mean, sometimes I really can be like, I still have the, you know, if uh, most of the times, no, but, but recently, you know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago now, my boyfriend and I had a, a actual like thing where I got all the old stuff that had ne- that hadn't been brought up sure. came out. I was very triggered and I was feeling super nervous and, and, and all those old thoughts were coming back. Um, the difference of course, was I spoke about it right away and we talked and it took me a couple of days sort of to get back into my thing. Cause I was bawling a lot, <laughs> but I eventually did. And then, you know, I was like, okay, like this is, this doesn't mean the end of the relationship. It's just where, you know, we had to work through something. And so we worked through it, but even going through it, I didn't think, oh, this is the end. I was like, okay, this is a problem and we need to solve it. But I was still really triggered. So I guess like that idea of, can you still move through these feelings that come through these different attachment styles Absolutely, Natasha. And I have different tracks for people if you're single versus if you're in a relationship. So if you're single, what I say is, listen, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be secure enough. Like if I come at it with, I'm having panic attacks, I'm constantly worried that you're abandoning me, leaving me, and or you're going to crowd me, I got some work to do first. So I have to be, and I give it all a scale. So like everyone's on a scale that's why I'm not like labeling per se, but I'm saying you're a mild Nora, you're a high-end Isabel, you're like a level eight, you got to get like a five, you got to be more neutral, right? Then you're going to become more secure truly in a good solid relationship. That's where the real healing starts. When you said like the real trouble starts after the first fight, but the real healing happens deeper in a relationship. So if you think about it, Let's say in my childhood, I had hundreds of thousands of experiences with my parents that caused my nervous system to be sensitive or caused me to be more avoidant. It's going to take hundreds of thousands of corrective experiences for me to feel something different. And not everybody gets there, but usually it takes about five years in a good, solid relationship to really make like changes, like cellular changes. And are, are, is the way that we are and attach in sort of interpersonal relationships the same way we attach about life and work and finances yeah. and other things? What's really fascinating, and some people have subscales for like, okay, who I am at work versus who I am with my friends versus my boyfriend. The very fascinating thing, though is the way that you were with your parents is more likely how you are with your primary partner. Mm -hmm. So let's say I can be super confident and secure at work or with my girlfriends, but my abandonment issues come up with a romantic partner. So honestly, that's the really the one that I'm going to work on the most, right? Because all my stuff is right there. Because I have different expectations of my friends, right? I'm not having sex with my friends. I'm not like connecting with them in that way. So something really primitive comes up in your romantic relationship versus other relationships. And is there something like, you know, you have a different relationship with each parent? Oh, yes, of course. Right. So 
is there anything to find, not, not finding, but you, like you said, you end up having a relationship that mirrors what you had right. with your parents. What if one relationship with one parent was super secure and the other wasn't? Yeah. We tend to obviously sometimes date the person as they say, like you're trying to fix that relationship, right? right? Heal the right. one that wasn't secure over and over again. But should we actually be focused on dating the person that's kind of like well, the secure? I'll give myself as an example. So my mother, super nervous, Polish immigrant, very, she had, you know, multiple kids in my family. I was like three of five, busy, right? And she had a lot of her own anxieties. But my dad was more on the avoidant kind of quiet side. And therefore, I also, you you tend to mimic the more dominant parent, okay? So my mother's anxiety was more omnipresent in our family. So we all became anxious. All of us kids have like a different style of it, but like I'm a high expressive, my sister's low expressive, right? Like it manifested in different ways, but here's the thing. Yes, now you could be attracted to like the unavailable partner, right? So here's the thing. Why we become like people pleasers is chances are you had a parent who was unavailable and you learned to work really hard to get attention. That's why, and the really tricky thing, Natasha, is secure functioning people are boring. Nobody wants to date a boring person who's kind of available and I don't have to chase after you. Like what happens is that was love. That triggered for me, like, oh my God, working hard to get your attention. So the minute I find another unavailable person, I'm sold. I'm stuck on you. So I have to consciously work really hard to overcome that. Yeah. And also like changing your mindset a little bit too, right? Because we all think, I used to think the same thing that, oh, people are boring, but it's also like people still have fun personalities and there's, there's a lot more fun to be had. It's just not as dramatic and eventful in the negative way. It can be, it can be uh, dramatic and eventful in a positive way. Oh my God. Romantic and passionate and fun and I say that all the time. That's right. Because you're used to the push and the pull of the relationship and not knowing where you stand and you're sabotaging. And that's the pattern that you learned to cope with this inconsistency or to cope with the lack of availability. And so now you just have to be aware of the pattern that you're infusing in your own relationship. And that's exactly right. If you have less drama, you have more time to experience all the other fun things because you're not fighting all the time. Yeah, no, totally. And and something in your quiz that also, um, you know, stru- kind of spoke to me when you were, um, when you asked this question is sort of, there were two parts. One was uh, in determining your love style, you asked people, uh, what do you need most in a relationship? And another question was, what do you fear the most? And those were the ones that, that took me an extra second, you know, because you kind of feel like you need all those things. You mm. fear all those things. Mm-hmm. How can ha- how can people decipher what they need in their life and what they actually fear? Yeah, and here's the other thing too, Natasha. This stuff, first off, to do a real thorough an- analysis of your attachment style, it's really an interview. You need to meet with the therapist. You need to understand their background and their history. But Let's say I'm a nervous person, but I could have a presentation that I also like my independence, but it's my family of origin. And it's back to what did 
I feel and what was the experience and what were those first two years of life that really shaped what I need? Because if I didn't get consistency, I need consistency. If I didn't get vulnerability or I I didn't get like, I feel like, um, you know, I had lots of space. Now I still need lots of space. So that kind of sets the tone. It's not the presentation per se. It's really kind of going back deeper into what was the wound. Because then during threat, during stress, it's those unmet needs that come out. It's like then that I become like insatiable again, or then that I really feel like I'm crowded and I need more space. So that's the whole beauty of trying to figure that out. Because otherwise we can all flip-flop and say, sure, everybody feels like they need trust and they need to count on their partner. But uh, let's say a fearful avoidant person really can't differentiate that at all. Like they're so scared of being hurt. That that's a very different fear than a secure person just fearing wasting time. You know, it's like a whole different level. Yeah. No, I I get that. And when people are listening to this and going, you know, I sound like a, a, a nervous Nora or an Ian, can can those personalities or these love styles mingle? Are there ones that go better together? Yeah. So what I did is, um, cause I've got online courses for everyone. I also wrote a manual where I broke down literally because there's seven types of both. So together that's 10 different couples. And I literally say, okay, at the beginning of your relationship, this is what's going to happen. You know, if, even if you're like, right, nervous Nora and nervous Nick get together and it's like, oh my God, you're like my soulmate. You get me. We're so together. We, we share these experiences. Nobody else has this. This is great. And then you've got fire and fire, and you're going to have a lot of fire. Like, there's going to be a lot of passion, but you both can be fighting because nobody's the anchor. So every couple is essentially just going to have different things they have to work on. So in that circumstance, if you're too much alike, you have got to take turns. How are you going to calm each other down? Because what successful couples do is they know how to calm each other down. Mm. They know how to co-regulate. So when you're freaking out, I just look at you and say, honey, what do you need? Breathe with me. I'm here with you. Do you need a hug? Do you need validation? And you give to your partner those things that you didn't get when you were young. And that's the healing. Like, that's the beauty of it. And I'm not defensive. Like, why do you need that? Do it on your own. I'm like there for you. And if I know your attachment style and you know my attachment style, then we see each other in a very different way and we can heal each other too. That's really beautiful. Uh, And in a really nice way of looking at it, because I think people have a hard time articulating what the role of the part, a good partnership is. Yeah. We're so afraid. We're like, oh God, I'm never dating anybody like him again. He was so avoidant, blah, blah, blah. And we have so, and I'm like, it depends on our gradation. Where were they? Were they being triggered? How were you partnering to them too? So I come at it from, I mean, there's a lot of nuance here. So that's the thing. It's like, you got to really also talk to people in real time. I mean, it's one thing to read a book or a manual, but it's another to actually really get in there and try to help that couple. I don't know. Is there is there a sort of a style, uh, one of these love styles or a couple that you feel more of the population has right now, like especially current modern daters? 
Okay, let's start there because I created my love style course for Nervous Nora first because she's the most popular, okay? I've got my statistics right here. So women, 45% of women, the majority of women are the Nervous Nora types, okay? Wow. So men, 32%. So together, that's about 43%. Next is the independent type, more men, uh, men, 22%, 19% of women, the uh, fearful avoidant, thank goodness, the confused Connie and Connor, men, 4%, women, 5 so that's low. And then what's fascinating on the secure type, more women think they're secure, 30%, but 43% of men think they're secure. Now, I think more men fake the test. <laughs> I think more men answer in the positive direction. I don't necessarily think that more men are secure, but that's what my data is reading right now. I would tend to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, women are harder on themselves too, right? And when they take a quiz, they're going to like, you know, lean towards, oh, well, I'm not perfect in that. And so they're going to give themselves a lower score. But it is true. And what I'm seeing and what I'm worried about, Natasha, is the trend is that more and younger people are feeling more anxious and then throw in, again, the pandemic and everything else. But here's the thing, it all comes back to parenting. And I think in general, parents have gotten more anxious. The more information we get about do this, don't do this, your your baby needs this, not that. The mothers themselves are getting more anxious and then we're transferring the anxiety to our children and we're seeing higher rates than ever in anxiety. It's actually something I, uh, you know, I don't have a kid um, and my girlfriends definitely disregard me because of the fact that I don't have a child, but I watch them objectively and many of them have anxiety from before. That's right. Uh, But they've never done therapy, nor do they want to. And so I see them transfer it to their kids. And especially during this pandemic, many of them became hardcore germaphobes to a point that their kids, I've seen three sets um, where their kids are like in panic about living, masks, touching things. And then, and then that panic and anxiety just translates to other parts of their life because they're kids. They don't know how to compartmentalize well, where that anxiety is going. I mean, the horrible thing with COVID too is that we're afraid of people, right? Because yeah. I can get sick from people. And they're, you know, we call them COVID babies even. A lot of them have a lot of social anxiety because they just haven't been socialized. So the whole point of all of this then is how do we get back to a safer, secure world where the parents themselves can feel like, okay, if something happens, it's not horrible. And I just say, oh, you're fine, honey. Um, Or you're crying because you're cold. Here's a blankie. And I teach my child, don't be afraid of the cold. Instead of if I'm like, oh my God, they're cold. It's like, I've taught you the message, be afraid you're cold. Instead of let's solve that, you're crying because you're cold. And so there's so many ways that we need to just teach parents to do what is instinctively better to raise secure fun functioning children. Because it's not, sure, there's the guys out there, your exes, but you didn't become anxious with your last ex. You became anxious many, many years prior to that. That's so fucking true. <laughs> so yeah. that's, the, that's the root, right? And that's why I'm an advocate for therapy. That's why I developed online courses for people to say there's a four-step process. I literally, like, 
bottom-up therapy, work on your physiology, work on your mindset, work on your uh, inner child work, work on your cognitions because you're you're if you've got anxious thoughts, you're looking for the wrong information. If I'm convinced that all men suck, what do I look for? Data that confirms that, right? I have to think more rationally. So you teach people these steps and then teach them to be more confident, speak up, ask for what they want, for what they need, and now you've got something. At least you can weed through those people faster. I uh, have in in my friend circle, I feel like, uh, and not just friend circle, but a lot of people who reach out on the podcast and stories I hear, there are three sort of archetypes of people I see. And I would love to get your feedback of how those people can maybe improve based on their, these sort of attachment styles, right? One following into the nervous, which is, um, I definitely know the people who fall hard fall fast yeah. and they and they're clingy they need they're just like this person's not there for me at every second and blah, you know and you're just like whoa whoa calm down like they can't they you, you know they're they're really like coming into it like this with person high expectations yeah. kill me with everything um what do you say to those people who are kind of a little clingy and nervous to give their their partner some space to well, do their own thing Natasha I say listen you have a lot of needs and it's time to start fulfilling some of your own needs. You have to validate yourself. You are, you know, I am outsourcing my self-esteem and I'm saying you are the person who needs to give me a feeling of better about myself. But it is so empowering to know that I am good on my own and you're just here to, to help me during tough times. But if I'm expecting you to do everything for me, then I'm kind of codependent, right? It's just too much. And the person's going to feel flooded. So if, if the person is, I say, you know, if, if they're a high expressive type, because there's the high and low, right? If the high expressive person, I'm like, you have this idea that like sharing is caring. I'm like, um, sometimes caring is not sharing and you need to filter. You need to tone that down. <laughs> now, if you're a low expressive nervous type, then you need to speak up a little bit more. Um, but that's a different thing that you're learning, again, based upon high or low expressive. But I would say, slow your roll. You're going way too fast. You are expecting way too much. Uh, take a wait and see approach. Yeah, I mean, because there are those people who... Um who feel, I'm really curious what you think about this. People who think like, uh, their partner is their best friend and they do everything with them. They do everything together. Um, and my personal belief is I'm, I always tell my, my boyfriend, I'm like, I'm not your best friend. I said, I'm not your mom. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your wife. Even right now. I said, I'm just your girlfriend. So you better treat me like that. No, and, just, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I'm also like, I'm gonna walk out that door. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> um, I never say that. But that idea that like, I, I'm not here to fix you. You know, I used to date a lot of people who thought of me as like their their guidance counselor or their teacher. Right. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to be your best friend. I was like, go talk to somebody else. <laughs> well, we use the term in couples called interdependence, right? Like two independent people that we're going to rely on each other when we need to. Right. And that's the beauty of it, that that's you're there for me when I need you, but you're not going to crowd me. And if you need more attention, though, the, the one thing you don't want to do, Natasha, and this is a big mistake people make, is they 
let's say they're the needy type, right? And they pretend from the beginning that they're the cool, casual type that they don't need anything. I'm cool with casual sex. Yeah, no worries. Then what happens is the guy thinks, oh, she's cool with casual sex, right? Then all of a sudden, right, boom, I'm attached to you. And now I'm like, where do we stand? What's going on here? And it's too, if you had actually just been legit yourself and said, you know, I got to be honest with you, I get attached pretty quickly with sex, that would be a different conversation. We call that cool girl syndrome on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. don't be a cool, like, don't pretend to be a cool girl, right? You're faking it. So you're going to blindside the other person. We're always feeling we're going to be blindsided. You might equally blindside someone because you had your own shame about that and you weren't able to articulate it in a way that the person could hear it. And you got to know your audience too. So like, I got to know myself and my love style, but I have a love, a partner quiz too, because I got to know who you are. So I got to know what your needs are. And again, if I'm crowding you, if it's too much, I've got to adjust. Okay. So you had two other archetypes. So yeah, one yeah. was the nervous. Yeah. One was nervous. The other was the independent. And yeah. so, like I said, this is a few of my girlfriends now yeah. who are kind of at this phase where, you know, they dated a lot, nothing's working out. They're cool with just being alone and it's fine. I think that part's really good. But at the same time, they're also kind of like, I just, I just don't need anybody. And I don't, and so, so when, even if somebody does try to come help them, they're like, I got this. I don't, I don't need you. And, and sometimes there's, you know, something that I think, uh, happens with a little maturity is, uh, and we're just speaking about hetero relationships. I know I can do everything by myself, um, but I'm cool. If, if my boyfriend wants to pick up my stuff and take my, I'm like, yeah, go, go pick it up. Yes. I don't care. (laughs) Um, So what do you say to those people who, you know, are just so independent, almost to a detriment? You know, here, the whole goal is to say having needs is normal. And we know that it's actually physically harder to be alone and have to manage everything. I'm going to tell you in later life, it gets much harder. Just physically, if I don't have somebody to take me to the doctors, if physically I don't have somebody to count on, I have to do everything on my own. It gets hard. It really does. And then people get lonely. So it's not that you need a relationship, but it's okay to want one. And we all are human and we have needs. And so I would say, what's wrong with needing someone? That have you ever experienced true intimacy and that you were vulnerable and you shared and you felt closer? Because that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, there's this whole idea, like you're going to use this information against me. Like, why would you think that? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had those conversations where you really felt seen and heard because you opened up? That's the, that's what you got to get at that nugget. And if you keep up the wall, sure, you can have sex and you can have lots of partners, but do you ever really get there? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So working on the vulnerability. Yeah. And then the last one is the, the people that um, are just truly avoidant, right? Like they might really like somebody, but because they didn't give them one portion or one part of something that they truly needed, but don't want to accept that they needed it are just like, I'm good. That's it. Bye. And, and I'm always like, no, but maybe you should talk to them now. I'm good. I'm good. And you're like, but talk. And, and 
that's the other thing too, Natasha, that really leads to like ghosting behavior too. And I say, listen, you might be good, but the other person isn't. And so you've now made a pretty um, unilateral decision for two people that when you enter into a relationship, this is a we, and you've decided you're good, that you don't need to talk about it. But do you, have you asked your partner if they're okay about not talking about it? So I would just play devil's advocate and say, I'm going to guess that somebody's waiting on you. So here's the thing. The independent avoidant person will, you could your whole life say, everybody else is so needy. And I'm like, here's the thing. You're not giving enough. And I'm just going to tell you that point blank. Everyone is going to want more from you. Everyone. So just figure it out. Figure out a way to stay in your skin, feel your feelings, identify, label them, and then work through them and then share them. Well, this is all just such wonderful advice. Um, and and please tell everybody where they can get this quiz again. Yes, I am the Back to Love Doc. So my Instagram, my Twitter, my website, everything's the same, Back to Love Doc. And because I'd like to help people get back to love, like I want to get back to a simpler time where we weren't all so anxious, where love was simpler, where you could trust people and uh, take my quiz first. You'll get on my news list, find out about my courses. If you are the nervous type, how to move towards secure. If you're the independent type and you need to work on vulnerability, I'll teach you that. And so it helps to just have a template because you're working on slightly different things, but still in the same four steps. So um, it's been a real joy for me. And mostly during the pandemic, I developed all my courses. So I'm working from home now, doing Zoom. I've got my clients, but creating things to reach more people because that's, again, really my, my mission, my passion. Well, thank you so much for uh, everything that you do and for all of this and for being on the show. Yay, uh, I love it. You're not totally done. We have something called six questions. We ask every guest the exact same six questions. So Dr. Diane, are you ready for yours? I'm ready. All right. So it's like your love quiz, but you know, don't overthink okay. it. Just rapid fire it. Okay. Um, Dr. Diane, what is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Oh, I am sorry. Height. No, it's okay. Okay. Girl, I'm tall. No, I'm all about height. Okay. I tell everybody we have our preferences. You know, my brother is tall and he always wanted a tall girl and I'm short as fuck. So I was like, I get it. I'm 5'10 and my husband's 6'6. So it worked. I I mean, it was just, it was something that I noticed, right? Because I want to feel smaller, right? The whole point is if that's a feeling. Yeah. That completely makes sense. You have a justification. You're 5'10. I'm like, I'm 5'2 and a half. And I'm like, everybody needs to be taller. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Uh, What is one deal breaker? Smoking. What turns you on? Uh, Confidence. Hmm. What are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? Oh, I'm a good listener for sure. Uh, my strength, my weakness is when I was single, I gave way too many chances. I, I, I had a hard time getting out. I, I get the sense, but I just couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Dan, what is love? Ah. <sighs> A felt sense of being seen, heard, understood, and um, appreciated. And your last one, 
besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? Um, you're hot, baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you are hot, girl. Uh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Diane, for being on the show in this episode. How can everyone find you? And uh, again, just, just plug your, your quiz in the sites. That's right. And catch me on Instagram is where I live. Back to Love Doc. Um, you know, follow me, get my notifications. I am huge into following The Bachelor and Love is Blind. So I also have a YouTube channel, um, which is different, which is called Rose Therapy, where I break down all the episodes, talking about attachment styles and what's happening. And um, I'm following and loving Love is Blind too. So I've got some stuff to say about that. Oh, me too. I'm only on like one and a half episodes okay. in though. So I got to, I really got to get in, but I yeah, already yeah. had my thoughts based on the first episode. I was like, mm. mm-hmm. there's lots of thoughts I have. Yes. Yeah. yes. That's so hilarious. Um, well guys, again, we're going to have all the, the links to Dr. Diane stuff in the description of this episode. So thank you so much again for being on the show. Um, guys, follow us. We're also on social media. We're at kind of dating across the board. I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram. Natasha.Chandel on TikTok, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. Please tell a friend, rate and review this podcast wherever you get it and send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kind of Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kind of Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.